the evening worship service here at Calvary Presbyterian Church. My name is Kelly Jackson. I am the RUF campus minister at Florida State, and John Sharp is resting. He does the worship thing all the time, but he needs more of the rest thing on this day of rest, so we're giving him that. Um, please keep the Sharps in your prayers, uh, as John is going to be taking some kind of time off after the holiday season, I guess between the Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays, but uh, I believe that they'll mainly be here in Tallahassee, but he's trying to take some time off, and so pray that he does. Pray that he uh, gets some sweet time with his wife and his kids and is able to just take take to step away uh, and rest because he works hard, and I know he needs rest. But welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here to close out this Lord's Day uh, with us. And our call to worship, <clears throat> excuse me, our call to worship comes from Psalm 106. Whoops, I flipped to the wrong. Psalm 106, verses 1 and 2. They read Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Or can show forth all his praise? Let's stand and sing our hymn of praise from the hymnal 151, O Come All Ye Faithful.
seated. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we do come to adore you. Uh, And we, as we enter this Christmas season, uh, finishing up November and all the Thanksgiving things, and heading into the month of December and celebrating the birth of Jesus, may we uh, just be reminded constantly as we see the decorations on houses, as we hear the music on the radio, uh, as we just get excited about the Christmas traditions, uh, that all of the celebration uh, ultimately should point to you, uh, because you are the greatest gift that the world has ever been given. Uh, you came into this world, as we just sang, that, to be a light uh, in a dark place, just as Isaiah reminded us, uh, that, that a dark world and dark hearts uh, were illumined uh, by your presence. And Lord, I pray now that you would, uh, by your spirit, uh, join us in worship, that you would wake us up, that you'd remind us of our need, and that you'd meet that need um, by your power. So Holy Spirit, bless our worship tonight. Uh, bless all the elements. And um, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading tonight, I'll give you just a minute to turn there, comes from Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 11 that will pop up uh, in our sermon tonight. Uh, The introduction to Mark kind of gives a nod to the book of Isaiah and some other prophecy as Jesus comes onto the scene. And this is, I'm sure there will be some verses that you recognize, a pretty famous uh, portion of Isaiah. So I'll begin. Isaiah 40, at the beginning of the chapter, and I'll read verses 1 to 11 for us. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is like is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Let's stand and sing the doxology together. God from whom all blessings flow, 
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll open your uh, Trinity hymnal to the very opening cover, we will recite the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory. To judge both the living and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Before our hymn of preparation, I mean, that first half about Jesus showed up in the song that we just sang. And I love it when the dots connect uh, with an Old Testament reading or a New Testament reading or a creed where you're like, whoa, that's good theology. And there it is. You know, it it is connected. Uh, And I I just I love when a service uh, happens like that. So uh, kudos to uh, whoever put the service together. I chose some of the scripture and the, the passages that we're, uh, that we're looking at, but I just love it. It just it makes the, 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 the worship service hum. Well, let's sing another hymn uh, out of the hymnal number 149, Joy to the World. Let's stand and sing as we prepare to hear the word preached. 149. Savior reigns, let men live. 
sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as is found for as for as the curse is found he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love amen please be seated if you'll turn in your bibles uh we are going to be in mark this evening and it is good to be with y'all tonight we had a busy week before Thanksgiving, we had our last large group, then we had a worship night, and then we had Friendsgiving, where all the students bring meal, or uh, what's it called, dishes, it was a potluck, so I was pretty tuckered out after that, and we've been in Macon with my wife's family for a week, it was very restful, but it is good to be back in Tallahassee, and it is good to be with y'all tonight. Uh, As we look at this passage, the sermon is titled, A Lead Worth Following, and I, I chose that because sometimes uh, a, a reporter will get a piece of evidence or a story that is real. They think, oh man, this could make a great article in the paper. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I feel like in the Advent season, you know, reading Luke is a classic passage to read the birth narrative of Christ, but the beginning of a Gospel account uh, from Mark I think is also a great passage to use, and hopefully... Uh, it gets you excited to go back through in your own uh, personal worship time uh, one of the gospel accounts, uh, hearing how Jesus uh, came onto the scene. And so, uh, as we get ready to read the passage, y'all probably know that royal or triumphal entries have been a thing for a very long time. Uh, whenever someone of royalty or high office comes into town, or somebody who just won something comes back into town, uh, they're celebrated, right? There's there's fanfare, there's likely music. Uh, I just have been watching a lot of stuff on the original astronauts, those seven. Like There's a documentary called The Real Right Stuff that I just watched. Uh, but just learning about what they had to go through, and every time one of them returned after accomplishing their mission, music was playing, you know, their names are on the McDonald's sign, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And we're welcoming them back. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, I know, you know, part of her job was to go to all these provinces and things all around the world. And she'd be welcomed, you know, as the queen uh, with fanfare, celebration. I think the last national championship that FSU won, correct me if I'm wrong, was softball. And you better believe when they came back to Tallahassee, we celebrated them. One of the classic pieces that's a part of that celebration. 
is the the horn that's like bum bum da da. You know, it's like presenting this person, or you know, this person is coming into the room. And as we turn our attention to to Mark one one two, I think eleven is what we're going to be reading. Where is that? Thirteen, actually. I'm sorry. I want you to be asking yourself, what is the herald trying to tell us? This herald who is Mark, or the, the apostle Peter, who's actually telling Mark, Mark the story as Mark writes it down. What's the, what's the song that's being played? What is the message being put forth in this introduction, these introductions uh, to Mark's gospel of Jesus? So I hope that our study uh, of the text tonight will help answer all of these questions. Let's pray real quick, and then we will read Mark 1, 1 to 13. Bow your heads with me. Lord, as we turn our attention to study your word now, uh, I ask that you would bless even the reading of your word, because we need your spirit to open our eyes, uh, to open our hearts to what uh, these words mean. Um, Just like our conversion, Lord, uh, the continual growth of sanctification, although we are a part of it uh, in ways that we were not a part of the regeneration that you gave us, uh, you still have to be present for anything to happen. And so we pray that you'd bless our, our reading of your word, the preaching of your word, our applying of your word uh, to our hearts, and that you would um, be glorified in all of it, Lord. So we lift uh, up our lives to you, we lift up our worship to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Mark 1, and we're going to read verses 1 to 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening. The Greek there says the heavens were torn open. And the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking, I'm jumping back up to Luke. Uh, descending upon him, and a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Like we just read in Isaiah, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So, like we said, we have this prologue uh, of the Gospel of Mark, this first telling of the life of Jesus before us. And it begins with good news, which has actually, this, this, this news 
this new information that we need to hear is, had actually been foretold long before this moment when Mark penned these words. And this news comes out in the wilderness. And that's our outline. There's, there's news, there's good news, which is actually old news, and it comes in the wilderness. So we're just going to walk right through these verses. We'll do a little bit of skipping around. But verse 1 is Mark's own introduction to the entire book. In this verse, we have Mark's confession, you could call it. Mark is telling us, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus, and it's good news. And that's where the, the word gospel comes from. And it's not some cheesy Christianese that we've made up to talk about Jesus. The Greek word is euangelio, which literally means good news of. And who's that news about? It's about Jesus. But, but what is his name? Let's talk about his name for a minute. We're just talking about this first verse. There's so much packed in. I don't know if you think about names much. Uh, your parents probably gave you your name for some reason. Maybe there was a relative or there was someone they really looked up to or learned a lot from. Maybe you've looked up the meaning of your name. Uh, I hope you like what you found if you did that. If you've never heard this before, Jesus' name actually means salvation, deliverance, rescue. Mary and Joseph are actually told to name him this. And we read that in the beginning of Matthew and Luke's accounts of Jesus' life. An angel tells Joseph, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So as we enter this Christmas season, let me remind you, Jesus, like this is what we're celebrating, his coming, and that's the coming of salvation, deliverance, rescue, that you and I and this audience desperately need. And then there's this sermon, surname kind of thing, Christ. Is Christ his last name? It actually means Messiah or anointed one. No, it's not his last name. Jesus is anointed or set apart to save, rescue, deliver, redeem. And if that wasn't enough, then Mark tells us that this anointed Savior is the Son of God. We're only a verse in, y'all. And these couple of phrases are just bursting with, with flavor, with meaning, with the good news that Mark is going to tell us more about. In this whole book, it starts with this confession. Uh, we're about to hear that this guy Jesus, someone Mark's believe, can rescue us, someone he believes was actually chosen, set apart for this purpose, is not just somebody who has a good resume and Jesus is like, yeah, he's up to the task. You'll be a good fit for this gig. No, this guy, according to Mark, is the son of God. As we sang just a minute ago, begotten, not created. And Mark is going to lay out 16 chapters, and he's going to fly. But 16 chapters all about his life, and right at the tail end of it, it's very cool, 1539, so almost to the end. We have another confession, this time not from Mark, but from a Roman centurion. And guess what he says? Surely this man was... The Son of God. Isn't that cool? It's bookended. The very first verse in, in the book and one of the last verses in the book, two humans saying, he, he's the Son of God. Yeah, he was the Son of God. The same confession. But we have even more about his sonship here in our verses. And it's not from the mouth of a human. 
If you'll jump to verse uh, 9, we'll look at verses 9 and 11. Jesus is baptized, which is crazy to think that that guy ever got baptized. But he's baptized by his son, or by his cousin, John the Baptist, who we'll talk more about in just a second. But Jesus is introduced by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descends on Jesus as the voice of the Father proclaims Jesus' deity and sonship all at once. Mark is very clearly driving home the fact that Jesus is otherworldly even while he's human. His baptism brings about, like I said a minute ago, the heavens being torn apart, torn open for his father to announce, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. One scholar writes this, this is an awesome uh, thought. Many had come to Jordan to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but only in the instance of Jesus, in whom true submission to God was perfectly embodied, was the coming up from the water answered by a coming down from above. By the way, a side note on baptism. It it appears he is in the river getting baptized. That's the cleanest water there was. That's living water, moving water. And so oftentimes you would go down to the river and... We, as Presbyterians, believe that they just scooped that water up and probably dumped it on their heads. But that is oftentimes where the cleanest, purest water would be used, as opposed to water that was just sitting uh, and could be um, unclean. But he comes out of the river, the sky tears open, the spirit descends, and the Father speaks. So Mark, like a, a giant wave crashing over us, or like the instrumental bridge or... Uh, an instrumental solo in a song, it just, it's hitting us. He's hitting us with all this stuff at the beginning of his gospel account and just bam, 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 trying to get us to, to wake up and see what good news this is. He's throwing all of, all of these things at us to pull us in because this story is the best news he believes we will ever hear in our lives. Matthew gives us a genealogy that I've heard some cultures absolutely love. I heard that, that Matthew was preached the genealogy passage, which that's like my least favorite part of the Bible, genealogies. I'm just, especially the, the ones in Genesis where I'm like, man, this is so dry. Or I guess that's more later. Um, uh, Kings maybe and, and Samuel where you just hear about how long people reigned. But I heard that there was a tribe that cares so much about genealogies. They hear a passage like Matthew 1 spoken on and it, people were converted uh, because in their culture that means a lot. So I just loved it. Matthew, you, you get genealogy. Luke pra- uh, prefaces his narrative with an address to this man, Theophilus, to say, this is why I'm writing to you. And he also gives a genealogy. John takes us back to Genesis to show us that Jesus is the word who was there at creation. We're getting different stuff from all of these guys. But Mark doesn't do those things. No, Mark, he immediately puts before us the fact that there's good news. Y'all, there's good news about Jesus, good news about Jesus coming our way. He's the anointed Savior. He's the Son of God. You need to hear it. Wake up. If you're a Christian, let me ask you, have you forgotten that the information we have about Jesus is good news? Has it become merely mind-filling information to you? Have we let our lives drown out the joyful and triumphant trumpet of good news? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
If so, let Mark's words be a reminder that we need to hear this message every single day. I know I've said this before, but one of my professors, a guy named Ligon Duncan, who's actually the chancellor of, of RTS now, he says, my first job as a minister of the gospel every day is before my feet hit the floor to preach the gospel to myself. That's all of our jobs, to preach the gospel to ourselves before we get up, before we go about our lives, because we are so good at forgetting it. Isn't it nice to know at the beginning of, of, of this story, of this true story, that there's going to be something really good that's going to that's happen? That there's going to be this good news that this Son of God, this anointed one, this rescuer has come. It should be a part of our routines to preach this to ourselves. That there is hope for our lives. But this good news that Mark is saying, hey, listen, you know, like extra, extra, read all about it. It's actually old news. This Messiah was promised long before Mark ever wrote these words. Look at verses 2 to 8, and we'll see that the prophets, the prophets spoke of him. And John the Baptist is a prophet. Uh, but, but long before John the Baptist, they're laying the foundation. They're rolling out the red carpet. What Mark simply calls Isaiah in verse 2 is actually several Old Testament texts working together. Mainly Isaiah, but also Exodus and Malachi. And they're all working together to tell us about somebody, and it's actually not Jesus at first. It's John the Baptist, his cousin, the messenger, the herald. One commentator writes, Mark's intention is grasped by reading verses 1 to 4 as a single sentence. The good news concerns Jesus Christ, but it begins with the wilderness prophet John. There are a lot of prophets in the Old Testament who would guide and direct and warn people. But then there was this long silence. And John was the first prophet to show up in hundreds of years. And during all that time, the people of God, they were waiting and waiting and waiting in hope. And then maybe in hopelessness. And finally, the messenger comes. The one who would prepare the way for the man Mark just told us about in verse 1. And in verses 4 to 8, John actually shows up and gives us his proclamation. By the way, I love that Mark used the word appeared. He did not just appear out of nowhere, but just like he uses the word immediately, he uses the word appeared. Bam, here he is. Uh, One of the cool things about Mark, it's only 16 chapters long, whereas Matthew, I think, is 28 chapters long. I think it's the shortest gospel And with words like appeared and immediately uh, that show up in our passage, and then Mark uses the word immediately over 40 times throughout the rest of the book, you feel the speed of the book. It's just, and this happened, and then this, and then immediately this happened. And, you know, he's keeping you on the edge of your seat. He's getting this out quick because this is the first gospel historically that people had. And it was given to a, a, a struggling Christian world who at this time were under the emperor Nero, who hated Christians. And so a hopeless people who are being persecuted get this thing, and it's like, oh, wow, you know, you're learning this story. But just that's just an aside about Mark and the way he writes. But here he tells us about this prophet John coming onto the scene, and we see that all the country of Judea and Jerusalem came out to the wilderness for, for this baptism. And it's, it's really a return by the people of God to their God. And this prophet is saying, come, you know, 
I'm going to baptize you with water. Return to this God. It's really a new exodus. You know, it's fulfilling even more prophecies about the, the remnant returning to God. In a lot of the Old Testament uh, minor prophets, you hear about this remnant. Uh, but just some examples, Isaiah mentions it in uh, chapter 11, 40, 42, 43, uh, 48, 49, 51. I mean, it's just it's all over Isaiah, and it's all throughout if you look at the end of a lot of the minor prophets. But as these people are coming, they are hearing from John's very own lips that the baptism he offers is merely of water, but the baptism that Jesus will offer will be the Holy Spirit. We've gone from a merely physical thing to a spiritual, supernatural thing that John's like, I can't do that. So after this mighty prophet of God comes an even mightier prophet of whom John says, I can't even untie that guy's shoes in verse 7, which was the job of a servant. Like, I can't even do that. He is so much greater, and it's his cousin. But he's saying this man will be something else entirely. The messenger has spoken. He has prepared the way just as the prophets before him said he would. He's baptized and, and, and preached repentance, but John is clear that Jesus is the one who actually enables that repentance by the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually enables people to be made whole again, to have hope and to have healing that our broken parts, uh, our throbbing parts in our hearts, our minds, our relationships, our lives need. And yeah, again, on the context, these words were coming to a suffering people. Uh, in the 60s A.D., they were in Rome. They were under the Emperor Nero, and I mean, they were dying. They were being killed uh, because of who they were. Uh, they were learning how to be faithful Christians. And Mark is getting these words out. And like I said before, Peter, who's behind Mark uh, in terms of um, the apostleship behind the the pinning of this um, this gospel account. He's trying to get this out as fast as he possibly can so that people can ha- have it, to, to hear it, and be reminded of the hope that they have in Jesus as they look around at a scary world. But as we think about you know, the, the original context, I know that this, you know, these two semesters have been two of the hardest semesters that I've been in my job. Um, maybe you feel the same way in your job or in your marriage or in relationships with, with, with some friends or with family members. Um, don't we need this same hope? Mark, Mark is giving us the hope of Jesus by telling Jesus' very own life story. And Jesus hasn't even spoken yet. That's why I was confused when it said Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority. I was like, wait, that's not right. And that was in the previous gospel. But we need this hope. We need this this Christmas season to be a reminder of the hope and joy and peace uh, that Jesus brings. And it's all hands on deck uh, in this gospel account. You know, Mark is speaking. Several prophets are speaking, including John the Baptist. The Father and the Holy Spirit are speaking to say, listen to him, follow him. Um, There's a sci-fi movie, and uh, I really like this guy. His name's M. Night Shyamalan. But the movie Lady in the Water came to my mind uh, as I was preparing for this sermon. And it's a really weird movie. It's about this nymph who comes to visit an apartment complex as she is on the run from this monster. 
and she's overcome with fear uh, because she's trying to get away, but she ends up interacting with, and I told you it was science fiction, so it's strange. She ends up interacting with this um, this character uh, who he writes like uh, political science or political philosophy, and it's her interaction with him that inspires him, kind of wakes him up from his writer's block. He writes a book that goes on to be forgotten by most, but read by a child who ends up becoming president of the United States or something. It doesn't happen in the movie, but it's like, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And so you see their interaction happen, and you see lots of other people in the apartment complex who play a role uh, in the story. And so they are all pieces in this prophecy, and I just got chills like when I realized what was happening in the movie the first time. Sorry if I just spoiled it if you haven't seen it. But you know this 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 man, this author who just dabbled in writing, did not think much of of his his thoughts. Didn't think he had much to say. He would be moved, inspired to write something by this interaction with this nymph. And that book, which would be forgotten by most, will be read by this person, and it would go on to change the world uh, by that that person being inspired by it. And I got chills because you know you see all these puzzle pieces fitting together, all these people playing a role. And it made me think about this true story, you know, this this story of redemption that involves tons of people. And, you know, it comes to this point in human history where all these prophets, priests, kings and believers uh, and non-believers that God used um, all to point to Jesus. And like now the time is right. And God has put all the pieces in place. All the people in place. John was a key piece. Fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy with his presence. And now with his words. And so this, this, this good news, which is old news. Everything's fitting into place. And Jesus is fulfilling so much. I mean, Jewish minds would have been blown. As, as they were like, oh, what? Like, you're him? Just like when Jesus says to the woman at the well, like, I am he. Um, you know, she mentions Messiah, and he's like, yep, that's me. And then her mind's blown, and what she do? She goes into town, leaves the water jar, and she's like, i got to tell you about this guy. He's, he told me, you know, he knows all about me. He told me all that I ever did. And she becomes a believer just like that on the spot. But, I mean, y'all, looking back all the way to Genesis 3, after the fall, that the seed of woman would crush the, the head of the serpent. And then Jesus is promised over and over again throughout the rest of the Old Testament. These prophets, this man John, they didn't just show up and start making things up. No, God was at work sovereignly unfolding this story of redemption to a waiting people. You and I are waiting. We're a waiting people. Jesus came once and he's going to come again. And, and right now we wait. We are in these last days now, as Paul calls them. But God is still at work. Sovereignly unfolding the story. And maybe you, you need to be reminded of that today. Reminded of the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And reminded that God cares about your story. And he is continuing to weave your story into his story. That he cares about your story enough to write himself into the story right here in Mark 1. He said he would do it and he does it right here in these verses.
And it should give us hope knowing the lengths to which God will will go to show us that he loves us, that he cares about us, and that he's going to be that covenant God who dwells with his people, who tabernacles with his people. That's what Jesus does. I mean, God with the Israelites in the the desert, you know, he had the the um, the tabernacle, which was a tent in the middle, because he says, "I want to be with those people." When David says, "I'm going to build you a house," God says, "Do I need a house? Where have I dwelt all these years with my people in their midst?" There are still people who are not living in houses yet, David. It's not time for me to get a house yet. But then he gets the temple. It has the curtain, right? And then what happens to that curtain when Jesus, when he dies, that curtain is ripped. I mean, it's it, we go from a place of God dwelling with, with his people in a tent to then God literally dwelling in their presence with a human body. And now, after the curtain has been ripped, Jesus said, I'm going to go away. It's going to be really good. I'm going to send the helper and the helper now dwells inside us. Do you see the the progression of God moving closer and closer to his people? Because he loves us. He wants us to have hope in him. Y'all, this is a just an introduction to the book. And it's kind of, it makes me think about this life. This life is just an introduction. This, these earthly lives that we live are just an introduction to the eternity that we're going to have with the King of Kings, where there will be no more sadness, no more fear, no more pain. But we haven't gotten to the wilderness part yet. All of this stuff happens out in the wilderness, which I think is so cool. There's something beautiful about this. As God does not call Jesus to a Jewish temple to start this book. Or somewhere safe and clean. No, Jesus is called to a place of suffering. A place of filth. A place where there, in our text it said it, there are wild animals. There is danger. Why would he do that? Why would God call Jesus to go out there? Why would that be the scene? I remember one of my seminary professors saying that the Spirit, and I'm just going to read these verses again, verses 11 and 12, or verse 12. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness, further, away from all these people. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. My seminary professor, uh, before Jesus starts his public ministry, he said, the Spirit does for Jesus here what he never does for you and me. He leads him into temptation. Before Jesus has started actually proclaiming, I am the Son of God, follow me, I am the Messiah. None of that's happened yet. But what he's doing here is showing us that he will go as deep and as far as he has to into the wilderness, into the danger, into the valley of the shadow of death for the ones that he came to save. And he'll conquer our sin. He'll actually conquer death itself. We, we sing it, and I think we, we just sang it a few minutes ago. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And y'all, this is just the prologue. Mark is playing the horn for us to introduce this man to us. He is opening the door to let us in. He's on page one of this human biography, and he's the first author in history to write it. And he's telling us this is good stuff. 
This is stuff that you need to hear about. This is the answer to days and years and lifetimes of longing. And not just those people's longing. The longing in all your hearts and in my heart. This is the answer. The news about this man who literally came to live for us and give us his life. What news it is. I hope that's an encouragement uh, to all of us tonight. Let's pray and we'll continue to worship. Lord, I know I need to hear this news. And it is so easy to put my hope, my identity, um, even to think that my longing can be satisfied by other things or other people. Uh, But Lord, I pray that this this season that we're in uh, leading up to Christmas would be... uh, that we would feel those hunger pains and that we would be reminded that, Jesus, you are the answer. Uh, that we would feel the anticipation uh, of Christmas and we would think, Jesus, you are the answer. Lord, we thank you for these gospel accounts and how different they are, uh, but, Lord, how they all fit together and how they are answering years and years and lifetimes and lifetimes of prophecy and longing And Lord, by your spirit, may you convince us with each new day uh, that a relationship with you um, changes everything. That you tell us who we are and that you make us into the men and women we are supposed to be. We thank you, God, uh, for sending Jesus, um, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's now respond uh, to the preaching of the word with hymn number 488. Lead on, O King Eternal. Will you stand and sing with me? Lead on, O King Eternal. The day of March has come, henceforth in fields of conquest, thy tents shall be our home. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong, and now, O King Eternal, we lift our vows. And holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drum, but deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly Lead on, O King Eternal, we follow not with fears, for gladness breaks like morning, where'er thy face appears. Thy cross is lifted o'er us, we 
The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O God of might. Now hear these words of blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green.